Uh, hey, we are uh, in a series, and we've been in a series for the last couple of weeks called A Better Fill-in-the-Blank. A Better Fill-in-the-Blank. We're talking about how the fruit of the Spirit in our lives makes us a better whatever it is that we're striving to be. And the, the reality is you could literally fill in this blank with anything. It, it doesn't matter. The fruit of the Spirit makes life better. You could fill it in with the word student, a better student. You could fill it in with teacher. I want to be a better teacher. You could fill it in with employee. I want to be a better employee. Or you could say, I want to be a better boss. You could fill it in with citizen. I want to be a better citizen. Or fill it in with president. I want to be a better president. I hope the president is watching us today. I'm not talking about that president. I'm talking about Putin. Be kind, my man. Be kind. How much better would the world be if the presidents of the world and the dictators were kind? And anyway, I'm just saying, you can fill it up with anything. Whatever role you're trying to, to fit into, life is better when you live it with the fruit of the Spirit. It produces the kind of life that we all want to live and the relationships that we want to have with the people around us. And in week one, we talked about how the fruit of the Spirit makes us a better person altogether. We really broke down a lot of the, uh, a lot of the portions of Galatians chapter five to talk about that. And then in week two, we filled in the blank with the word spouse and friend. And we talked about how the fruit of the Spirit expressed in the context of relationship makes us better, uh, makes us better spouses, makes us better friends, no matter what kind of context we're, we're coming into a relationship with. And so if you missed that message last week, let me just encourage you to take some time this week, go online and watch it on our website or uh, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you check that out. Carmen helped me preach it last week and did a phenomenal job as always. I am blessed. She's amazing. I didn't get into too much trouble afterwards because of some of the stuff I said. Um, but, but let me just say this. There was, a, um, there was an issue with one of our slides last week, um, one of the scripture references. Uh, and I just, I want to go on record. That was my fault. It was not our tech team's fault. I gave them the wrong scripture reference. And... Um, and it got X-rated pretty fast. Um, when you're in Song of Solomon, you got to be really careful with the first that you give them. And uh, so I've been getting calls and texts about that all week from my friends in ministry that went online to see that. But hey, that's why you come to church. You never know what might happen at Life Chapel. I even sang a Michael Bolton song last week. So I'm telling you, it was great fun. You don't want to miss church. But our theme uh, verse for this series is Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Look at that again with me. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And today as we continue the series, I want to talk about how to become a better Christian. I want to fill in the blank with the word Christian. We're going to talk about how the fruit of the Spirit in our lives makes us the kind of Christians God has called us to be. So let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his word today. Father, we give you praise and honor and glory for your presence that's in this room, God. Lord, you're already here and you've met with us, God. And Lord, we know that it's in your heart, it's your desire to grow us now by your Holy Spirit through your word. And so, Father, I pray that as your word goes forth today, your spirit would go forth in power, God, and you would move and have your way in our lives. You would do what you want to do. You would transform us for your glory. And we give you thanks and praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we all want to be better Christians, right? 
I mean, I, I hope you do. That's one of the reasons we come to church, right? We come to church because we want to grow in our faith. We want to grow to become more like Jesus. And this is one of the ways that we actually become better Christians. In fact, the best Christians that you know right now in your mind are probably people who live out the fruit of the Spirit. That's what makes them such great Christians in your mind. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard someone say something like, uh, I like Jesus, but I'm not a big fan of Christians? You ever heard somebody say that? Or, or maybe something like, you know, I would be open to going to church if it wasn't for all the hypocrites. You ever heard somebody say that? I've had people say that to me. I think we've probably all heard something to that effect at some point in our lives. Uh, there's a theologian and an author by the name of John Allen Turner, and he said this recently. He said, it's hard to convince people that a God they can't see loves them when a church they can see doesn't seem to like them. And regardless of how we feel personally about this quote or what we've heard people say about Christians, either directly or indirectly, the fact of the matter is people who call themselves Christians, which is the majority of us in this room, we have a big problem that we need to figure out how to overcome because we do not have a good reputation among the people that we are trying to reach for Jesus. And that should not be the case. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, the scripture says that we are to live such good lives among the pagans. Now, pagans are just people who are far from God. We should live such good lives among people who are far from God that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And then the scripture goes on in verse 15, and it says, For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Again, regardless of what you may think about the people who make those kinds of statements about Christians, if you think it's foolish talk or you don't like it or you don't agree with those conclusions about church folk, regardless of how you feel about that, the scripture is clear. We change their opinion by doing good to them and among them. That's how you change the perception of the people who are far from God in your city and in our world. You do good to them, and in so doing, the hope is they will see the goodness and kindness of God through you and then one day glorify Him. They like Jesus, but they don't like Christians. And you know, as a Christian myself, I don't like hearing people say things like that, and I certainly don't always agree with it, but I, I think I know why they make those kinds of statements and the reason they make those kinds of statements is because Jesus is all of the things that we just read about in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is a perfect description of the nature of Christ. Put up that next slide because I, I want this to be super clear. Everything that you see in that list of the fruit is who Jesus is. It is his nature. It is his character. He is love. In fact, the Bible says this is how we know what love is. Christ loved us first. That's how we even know what love is. The scripture says of joy that many will rejoice simply because he was born, much less because of everything else he did while he was here on the earth. He is peace. The scripture says that he spoke, peace be still, and even the winds and the waves that were in complete and total chaos had to obey him. 
We could go on and on. We could take time today. I could show you in the Gospels how every one of these values is expressed in the life of Jesus and lived out in his interactions with others. You would see his kindness, his goodness, his gentleness in stories like the woman at the well and the woman caught in adultery and his interactions with people like Matthew that nobody liked. Zacchaeus, nobody liked him. Nobody wanted to be around him. What, how did Jesus respond to him? You can see it in his devotion to his disciples. You see his faithfulness and his patience. You see it in the moments of temptation and pressure that he endured. You see his self-control. Literally, we see the fruit of the Spirit all over the life of Jesus because the fruit is his nature. It is his character. Listen, it was not a show that he put on for the crowds. It's not like the crowd showed up and all of a sudden he became good and kind. It's who he was at the core of his very being. The fruit equals Jesus. They like him because everybody likes that fruit. So maybe this is why they don't like us as much. Look at that next slide. The fruit should, but it doesn't always equal Christians. They don't like us because the fruit that we're producing with our lives doesn't look the same as the fruit that Jesus produced with his life. They come to us expecting to receive love, receive love because love is what they would get if they were to come to Jesus, but they don't get love, they get disdain instead. They look for joy from us because Jesus brought the joy, but they don't see joy in us, they see despair. They look for kindness, gentleness, and goodness, but they don't see it. You know what they do see? They see big buildings, nice programs, and cool stages and lights. But there is something in the character of the Christian that is missing. Now, this is certainly not the case for every Christian, and I don't believe it's the case for us here at Life Chapel. I really don't, but like it or not, they have a point, and that means that we have a problem because the people we're trying to reach for Jesus, they can't see him in us. What's missing is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit is what makes us better Christians. It's, it's what makes us better witnesses of Christ. It's what helps us win this world for Jesus because the fruit actually makes us more like him. And so I want to break this down a little further today. I want to, I want to talk about what it actually means and what it actually looks like to be a Christian. And I want to start with kind of a definition of what it is. A Christian is anybody who claims to be a follower of Jesus. A Christian is anyone who has believed in his message and accepted his teachings as the truth. And you know, it's interesting uh, because the term Christian was not created by the church itself. They didn't just decide one day they were going to call themselves Christians. The early church and the followers of Jesus were simply called disciples. They were people, according to the book of Acts, who were of the way. Now, that's an interesting thing to say. They're of the way. But what that probably is related to is John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. They were of the way because they were in Christ Jesus himself, and he is the only way of salvation. But it wasn't until Acts chapter 11, verse 26, that the term Christian first showed up in the scripture. It, was, it, it, it first began being used in the Greek city of Antioch where Paul and Barnabas were preaching. And Acts eleven twenty six 26 says this. It says the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And what Bible scholars tell us is that was probably, it probably started in a derogatory way. Okay, it was a nickname that was given to the church that was not complimentary. 
But the church soon embraced it, counting it an honor to be named after Christ himself, the early church fathers wrote. The word itself, Christian, is interesting to me, and I love looking at Scripture in its original language. I always learn something new when I break the words down in the original language, and, and this is how the word Christian literally breaks down. The first part of it is the word Christo in the Greek, which is the word for Christ, and what that word means is anointed one. The second part of the word Christian is Ian, which means little. So the word Christian literally means the little anointed ones. Now, listen, I think there's a lot in a name. And when things get named, I don't think it's as much coincidence as it is significance. And the term Christian may have started as a derogatory term, maybe a, a slur. Maybe people said it with a laugh. There goes those little Christians to their little church to worship their little God. But I believe there was significance in the name. And I believe based on what I read about in the book of Acts that the anointing of the Spirit of God was so strong on that group of believers in Antioch that the anointing could no longer be dismissed or ignored that was on their life. They were not simply disciples of a man who was dead and buried. They were disciples of the anointed one, the Messiah, the Son of God. And they became a force to be reckoned with in the city of Antioch and all around the world because the same anointing that raised Jesus from the dead was now living in them, his followers. They were walking in the anointing that God gave them when he told them in the, in the Gospel of John, greater things are you going to do because I go to my Father who is in heaven. Jesus told the disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 7 just before he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father he told them but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth he did not say you will be my witnesses based on your strength or your own ingenuity. He did not say people will be convinced to become a follower of me through your wisdom and understanding. He said the lost are going to be found in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and Antioch and Colorado Springs and the far reaches of the earth through the same way. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the anointing of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Resting on his followers. The anointing breaks the yoke, the Bible says. The anointing sets the captives free. The anointing binds up the brokenhearted. The anointing is what saves the lost. And there was an anointing resting on the early church. And I believe that's why the name, the anointed one, stuck. Because they were walking in the anointing of the Messiah that they had put their faith and hope in. And as they preached the gospel of his name, the power of the Holy Spirit accompanied them with great signs and wonders, the Bible said. And many were saved every day. But not only were there signs and wonders in the book of Acts. It was also incredible fruitfulness. See, when we read about the early church, we read about a church who was clothed in humility. That's gentleness. We read about how they were givers of grace. That's kindness. They were generous with their time, talent, and treasure. That's goodness. They overcame the temptations of the flesh. That's self-control. The Spirit was alive and moving in the cities where the early church was present and the fruit of their lives was proof that God was there. And it's interesting to me when we talk about a move of the Spirit of God. And, you know, I, I grew up in church. I grew up in a church that embraces the move of the Spirit of God. I've been talking about this my whole life. I've been talking about revival my whole life. I love it. 
But it's amazing to me, when we talk about a move of God, we always focus on a demonstration of his power. Our, our focus immediately goes to the gifts in operation. We think about the signs and wonders, and there's nothing wrong with that. I believe in that, and it's so needed in the body of Christ today, just as much as it was back then. But this fruit that we read about in Galatians chapter 5, it's called the fruit of the Spirit for a reason. Because the same Spirit who empowers the church to heal the sick and deliver people from strongholds also causes us to testify to Christ by being kind to others. Amen. That's good preaching right there. <laughs> he causes us to be kind. He causes us to be patient. Help us, Lord. And he causes us to be faithful. There was a church in the ancient city of Corinth. And the apostle Paul wrote a couple of letters to them in the New Testament. And the truth is they were a pretty dysfunctional church. I would imagine that the church in Corinth did not have a good reputation in their city. In fact, Paul rebuked them in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, saying to them, Listen, guys, it's, it's come back to me. It's been reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and it's the kind that even the pagans don't do. What's happening in the body of Christ, the pagans, he says, they won't even tolerate that. What was that scripture we looked at? Earlier about pagans in First Peter, what did it say? It said, live such good lives among them, among the pagans in your city, that they will see your good deeds and glorify God. In Corinth, they were apparent, there, were, there were people in the church doing things that even the pagans in the city wouldn't do. It was that bad. And yet, if you read the, the letters that Paul wrote to Corinth, the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of prophecy, the gifts of tongues, of faith, of knowledge, they were very prominent in this church. And that messes with your theology a little bit when you read things like that. It's like when you hear about the pastor who's winning so many people to the Lord, but he's having an affair. Or the pastor I heard about recently that has a whole other family on the side. And he's had that going on for years. But he's winning people to, the, to Jesus on Sundays. How does that happen? It messes with you. It messes with your theology. God, why do you use somebody like that? There were good things. There were powerful things happening in the church services at Cor Corinth, but yet their reputation in the city was not good because something very vital, something so crucial for them achieving the mission that Jesus gave them was missing, and what they were missing was the fruit of the Spirit. So Paul said this to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I do not have love, he says, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, it does not sound good. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, listen, I am nothing. If I give all I have and all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. This is what I want you to see. Put that next slide up. According to Paul, in these Corinthian letters, the fruit is greater than the gifts. This is what Paul's saying. Guys, I get it. You speak in tongues. You've got, you've got prophetic words going forth every Sunday. Incredible faith on display. Mountains are moving. This is absolutely amazing. All of that is good and important, but this is more important. How are you doing with that whole love your neighbor thing? 
See, love is the first value of the fruit of the Spirit. And many Bible scholars believe that all of the rest of the values of this fruit hinges on this one. Paul said to Corinth, if you have all these gifts, you've got the signs and wonders, you've got faith, you've got all of these wonderful things, but you don't have the fruit of love, you're missing it. And I want you to hear my heart for just a moment as your pastor. Because God is moving in a very powerful way all over the earth right now. And he's moving in our church as well. And I'm so thankful for what the Lord's doing. We have prayed with all of our hearts for a long time for God to move in a powerful way. And I believe we're seeing revival break out across the world like we've never seen it before. The earth and all creation is groaning, the Bible says in Romans chapter 2, waiting for redemption. And you hear that groaning. You hear the, 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 about the wars and the rumors of wars. You hear about the earthquakes. You hear about the famines. You hear about the sickness and death. You hear about all these things. Listen, wake up, church. We are living in perilous times. We are living in the times that we read about in the Bible. You can't live apart from God right now. You can't live doing it your own way. You've got to get as close to God as you can right now. We're seeing this thing. The earth is crying out to God, redeem us. Come and redeem this corrupt, sinful creation. Come and redeem us. And God, I believe, is answering that cry with a move of his spirit. And I believe signs and wonders are breaking out all over the world and will continue to in great, greater measure. I see the loss coming to faith. I see spiritual eyes that are being opened. I see cancer and illnesses of all kinds leaving bodies in the name of Jesus. I see mental health being restored. I see sons and daughters that are far from God, coming back in faith. I see powerful nation-altering moves of God coming like the waves hitting the seashore. I see the Spirit sweeping across the nations of the earth and drawing people of every kindred, tribe, and tongue to the Father. I believe we are in the beginning stages of a last day's outpouring of the Spirit of God. We're going to see it with our own eyes, and it's exciting. It's exciting what God is doing. I hear reports about what's happening all over the world. I hear reports about what God is doing, even while the church is under the most intense persecution it's ever been in. I see what God is doing, and I'm so excited about it, but let us not become a church like Corinth who saw amazing things in their services but had a horrible reputation outside of their four walls because there was no fruit that pointed people to Jesus in their lives. Being a better Christian is not about doing more for God. It's not about receiving more of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's not about seeing more miracles manifest among us. Being a better Christian is about walking in love. It's about excelling in kindness. It's about living out patience. Jesus said this to his disciples in John chapter 13, verse 34. He said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. Now watch this in verse 35. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The world will know we are Christians by how we love. It's the fruit, brothers and sisters. The fruit is how we reveal Christ. That's why the fruit is greater than the gifts. 
And I think we need to make it our ambition to change the narrative regarding the church in our generation. We need to change the perception. We need to challenge the status quo. We need to flip the script just like Jesus did in his day. If you think back to the Gospels in his day, there was a ruling, there was a governing authority over the church called the Pharisees. And the God that they presented to the people was a distant, angry old man that it was impossible to please. And then Jesus came along and he showed them something entirely different. And he told them, I and my Father are one. And if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. What you see in me is what my Father is all about. Forget about what they told you and come unto me. You who are heavy laden and burdened and weary of all of this religious stuff that you've been carrying. If that's the story that you've been living and you're tired of it, come to me. And what I'm going to show you is what God is really all about and his heart for you. Jesus flipped the script, and I believe we can too. So how do we do it? How do we become a better Christian? Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5. Let's look at it again. Galatians 5. Beginning in verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit. Here it is again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then Paul goes on in verse 24. Look at this. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, now let us keep in step with the Spirit. In this portion of the Scripture, Paul is addressing those who belong to Christ Jesus. So in other words, he's, he's talking to people who would be called Christians, people who belong to Jesus, the anointed ones. How do they get to the place where they live out this fruit that he talks about in verses 22 and 23? so that they can change their world for Jesus. Well, Paul gives us three pointers here, and I want to go through these quickly. Here's the first one. Number one, they crucify their flesh. They crucify their flesh. Now, let me say we covered this a lot in week one of the series, and so we're not going to go back through all of that again, but Paul talks about how the flesh and the spirit are at war with one another, and you know which one is currently winning in your life based on the fruit that you're producing with your life. And again, we're not going to go back through all that, but let me just say this. There is that constant battle going on inside of you between flesh and spirit, and you have to choose every single day of your life to crucify your flesh. See, it is not a one-and-done decision. Because the enemy keeps on fighting against us. He keeps on coming at us with temptation. So those who belong to Christ Jesus, they have to decide every day to keep their flesh crucified so that they can live by the Spirit. Jesus, if you'll remember in the Gospels, in Luke chapter 4, the Bible says that the Spirit led him out into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days. And throughout that 40 days, he was tempted by the devil three different times. And every temptation that the devil came at Jesus with was an appeal to his flesh. And Jesus defeated him all three rounds by quoting Scripture. Now, that is a lesson for you right there. If you're struggling to be victorious in your life, I'm telling you, the Scripture, the Bible says it is the sword of the Spirit. If he's attacking you, why don't you attack back? Why don't you give him some Scripture? The Bible says that if you resist him, he will flee from you. That's how you resist him. Jesus showed us the model. That's why you need to read your Bible daily. But all three times, Jesus... Jesus fought him off with the scripture. But then if you look at what the Bible says, the scripture doesn't say that the devil left him and never messed with him again. What does it say? It says that he left uh, looking to come back at an opportune time. 
In other words, it's not a one and done. There's going to be another opportune time. There's going to be another moment, another time in your life when the temptation is going to come and that temptation always appeals to the flesh. Satan came back later in the Gospels in the middle of a conversation that Jesus was having with Peter. And this is the most remarkable thing. They're having this conversation and this appeal to the flesh comes through uh, an oblivious Peter's mouth. And Jesus exclaims suddenly, get thee behind me, Satan. What happened? What was going on there? Well, Jesus was again crucifying his flesh with his passions and desires. The devil showed up again in the Garden of Gethsemane, appealing to his flesh, his human nature. Again, Jesus defeated him. This time it was through prayer and communion with his heavenly Father. This is what I want you to see. If Jesus had to crucify his flesh daily because of the relentless attacks of the enemy, then you better believe we do too. Amen? And the truth is, I think for most of us, this is getting harder and harder. It's getting harder because of the age we live in. Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 24 as he described the struggle of the end times. He, he said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. Love is a fruit of the Spirit, and it's a target of the enemy of our souls. And we have to guard against this as the church. In this day that we live in with so much wickedness and so much evil all around us, it's hard not to become filled with hatred for the world that we're called to love. If I can just be candid with you, I've, I'm really struggling with this in my own life. I get so worked up about what I see. It is so evil what's happening in our world right now. And I am zealous for the righteousness of God. I am zealous for the truth of God. And I get angry when I see what's happening in Canada. I get angry about it. So you're not tracking with what's happening in Canada, I guess. <laughs> I get angry when I see what's happening in Ukraine. I get angry when I see what's happening in Washington, D.C. I get angry about it. I get mad about it. I want to be like Jesus who formed a whip and walked into the temple and just started cleaning house. Now, don't put me on any watch list. I'm not coming to Washington anytime soon. And if I come, I won't bring a whip. Promise. But as you see what's happening in our world, this is what Jesus was talking about. Because of the increase in wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. He's not talking about the love of the world. They don't have love. He's talking about the love of the church. Our love for the lost will grow cold. We've got to remember that Jesus loves them. And he gave his life to save them just like he gave his life to save you and me. And so we have a responsibility to help them see and receive his grace. We can't do that if our if our love is turned to hatred, Paul expounded on this even more. And I want you to see this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. This is what Paul said about the end times. He said, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. He says, have nothing to do with these people. Now, this is what I want you to understand. Paul is writing this to church people about church people. He's not describing the world. We already know. They're lost. We get it. He's talking about in the end times, you're going to see a shift in the body of Christ. And I believe these are the days that we're living in right now. And when you look at that list that Paul 
writes about in 2 Timothy, you see that it is a direct assault against what? The fruit of the Spirit. They love pleasure, not God. In other words, they're not crucifying their flesh with its passions and desires. They're embracing and celebrating the passions and desires of their flesh as if this is something to be celebrated and this is something good. He says they have a form of godliness but deny its power, meaning they are Christian in name only. There is no anointing on their lives. How does this happen to church people in the last days? Here's how. The temptation becomes more and more common, and the appeal to our flesh through that temptation becomes stronger and stronger. Let me show you what I mean. That phone that you hold in your hand, it is a constant appeal to your flesh. The music you listen to, the TV you watch, so many of the things we get exposed to multiple times throughout our day. Listen, it's actually hurting our spiritual walk, not helping. It's because it's an appeal to the flesh and not an appeal to the spirit. So we have to get engaged in this fight. This is spiritual warfare. This is what it is. And we have to decide if we're going to win, we've got to crucify our flesh with its passions and desires. Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. I'm dead to it. I'm dead to my past. I'm dead to sin. Those who belong to Christ, Christians, they have made up their minds that they are not going to let their flesh rule and reign over their lives. There's only room for one king on the throne of their hearts, and his name is Jesus. And everything else that is not from him, by him, or for him, we crucify. Amen. And that leads me to the next point that Paul makes in how those who belong to Christ Jesus, Christians, we live out this fruit of the Spirit and impact our world. The second one is they live by the Spirit. They live by the Spirit. So you may be wondering, if you're crucified with Christ and you've died, so how, how do you live? What does that look like? Well, Paul tells us here in verse 25, you live by the Spirit. And I love the Greek wording here because it's actually different than what the translation says here. But the word for live is actually to be made alive. It is an action word. The Spirit makes you alive. In other words, after we crucify our flesh, we're made alive again by the Holy Spirit. And the Hebrew word for spirit is the word ruach. And what ruach means, it literally means the breath of God. And so what happens is this. After we decide to crucify our flesh and our sinful nature, God responds to us just like he did when he gave life to Adam in the book of Genesis. He responds to us by breathing his life into us through his Holy Spirit so that while we may be dead and gone when it comes to our sin and our old self, we are resurrected, we are born again, we are alive in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. So to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it literally means to be filled with the breath of God, with the Ruach of God. The scripture in John chapter 20, verse 22, says that Jesus breathed on them, and then spoke this over them. He said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that they were all gathered together in the upper room. They were praying. They were in one mind and one accord. They were praying and worshiping the Lord, and suddenly they heard a sound from heaven. The Bible says it sounded like a mighty rushing wind, and, and the Scripture says that that sound came down, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they all Men, women, and children, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment. Now, what was that? 
What was that sound that they heard? What was that sound of a mighty rushing wind coming from heaven? I believe it was the Ruach of God. It was the breath of God breathing on his church again in the power of the Spirit. He was breathing new life into them. He was breathing his resurrection power upon them. And listen to me. You can choose every day to, to participate in this battle of flesh versus spirit. You can live your life. Some days the flesh is winning. Some days the spirit's winning. You keep going back and forth. You're in church for a while, then you're out of church for a while. You don't know. Your, your life is like, a, is like a seesaw, and it goes back and forth because you're in this struggle. Let me tell you something. The struggle gets a whole lot easier when you get filled with the breath of God, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit. Things begin to change. It gets a whole lot easier. The baptism in the Holy Spirit that the, that the disciples experienced on the day of Pentecost it caused them to walk in such power, not just to overcome temptation in their life, but the power to turn the whole world upside down for the gospel. You become a witness for Jesus when you start walking in the power of his spirit. And let me just be honest with you, some of you, this is your next spiritual step. This is what needs to happen next for you. You need to trust God. You need to put your faith in his word and you need to receive the Holy Spirit that he's got for your life. I promise you, you'll never be the same again. This is when my life changed. I got saved at five years old, okay? I was baptized. But then at 14, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and everything changed in me. That same year, I was called into ministry. I was called to preach the gospel. That same year, I began to win my friends at school to Christ. We started packing out the van every Wednesday night and bringing kids to church. The next year, I was preaching all over my state and around the southeast because God called me after he anointed me through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm just telling you there's more. There's more. There's more than this struggle where you just keep going back and forth. There's more. We're talking about how to become a better Christian. Paul gives us three pointers here in Galatians 5. They crucify the flesh. They're filled with the Spirit. And here's the third one. They are led by the Spirit. They're led by the Spirit. If you look at verse 25 again, he says, Since we live by the Spirit, or since we've become fully alive by the Holy Spirit, now let us keep in step with the Spirit, so that we're not just Spirit-filled, but we're also Spirit-led. And the Greek word here for keep in step means to march in rank. So the word picture is like you're part of an army that's being led by the Holy Spirit, and you are following a set pattern. You're not marching to the beat of your own drum. You're, you're following the pattern that's been set for you by Jesus Christ himself. And the set pattern that you're following is leading you to a set destination, and that destination is the place of God's purpose and will for your life. That's where the Spirit leads us. And everywhere we go as we walk in him, we produce the fruit of the Spirit revealed in Christ to the world around us. I want the band to come up and begin to play softly as we get ready to close, but I want to show you this before we leave this point and close out the service today. This part of this verse, walking in lockstep with the Spirit and being led by Him as if we're a part of this marching army, it reminded me of what Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Look at it with me on the screen. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15. This is what the Scripture says. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. 
I love that word picture that is painted there in the scripture, the aroma of Christ. The King James Version that I grew up with calls this the fragrance of Christ. It's the fragrance of the saints of God. You know when they're in the room. You know when they come walking in here. You know when they're in your city. You know it's, it's the saints of God, the people that are really walking with God because of the smell that they put off. In my church growing up, it was the smell of peppermint candy. Because all the old ladies in our church carried some in their purse. And our church always smelled like peppermint. And to me, that was the fragrance of Christ. But what stuck with me about all those wonderful saints of God, most of which have gone home to be with the Lord, is when they walked into the room, it was the smell of someone who walked with the Lord. It was the smell of someone who was dead to their past life and had been raised up again in the power of the Holy Spirit and now they're being spirit-led. And when they walked into the room, you knew they were there by the fragrance they brought with them. You knew it when you heard them pray. They knew what it was to be in the presence of God. You knew it when you watched them worship and praise as they would lift their hands and lift their voice and praise and God would begin to move all across the room because the saints are crying out to God. These were people who walked with the Lord and everywhere they went, literally the room was filled with the fragrance of Jesus. Now listen to me. This is not the will of a generation long gone. It wasn't just the will for the early church in the book of Acts. It is the will for every one of us who are in Christ Jesus. It's the will for Christians. It's the will for followers of Jesus, true disciples. This is God's will for us in Christ Jesus, that we crucify our flesh daily, that we be made alive in the Spirit of God and filled with His power, and then we be led by that same Spirit into a dark and dying world. Why? To reveal Christ to the perishing. When we are led by the Spirit, we walk into the room, and the smell of the fruit of the Spirit immediately penetrates the noses of everyone around. They sense the supernatural love and peace and joy of the Spirit of God who reveals Christ and is flowing through us as we walk in step with the Spirit. This is what we're doing. We're advancing His kingdom. As we are led by the Spirit, we're taking ground for the kingdom of God. We're marching into darkness and we're bringing light. That's what's happening. Everywhere we step, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is heaven's will for the earth? It is heaven's will that all men may be saved. It is heaven's will for the earth that blind eyes be opened. Hallelujah. And sickness and disease bow to the sovereignty of God, to the name of Jesus Christ. It is God's will in Christ Jesus that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen to me. Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess one day. What we want to do is make sure that when they do it, it's not too late. Come on and stand with me all across the room. We can bring this fruit everywhere that we go. Paul tells us how to do it. every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's just invite the Holy Spirit to come right now in this moment. Father, we surrender to you, Lord.
we invite you, God, to come. Lord, have your way in this place today. Lead us and guide us, Father, according to your will, according to your pleasure, Lord. God, what do you want to do in our lives today? Have your way, Jesus. Have your way, Father. There were three clear points in the scripture, three clear calls from God to you today. So here's my question for you as you just stand in the presence of the Lord with nobody looking around. Where are you today and how will you respond to God's calling? Do you need to start crucifying the flesh? Are you allowing the flesh to win in your daily life? You're making the wrong choices and the flesh is getting stronger, your spirit's getting weaker. Today, you need to make a decision to reverse course. You need to come back to the cross. One more time. Come to the cross. Crucify your flesh. Lay it all down and live. Some of you, that's the decision that you need to make. Others of you, the next step for you is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You've been serving God for a while, but you know there's more. There's more power. There's more anointing. There's more authority. There's more calling on your life. There's more opportunity. There's something deep within you that is crying out for more of God today. And if that's you, I believe that God wants to fill you with His Holy Spirit. He wants to empower you for service in His kingdom. All you have to do is say yes. That's your action step. It's simply receive what God has already given to you. He's already poured His Spirit out. We're not waiting on another outpouring. The Bible says that He's poured it out on all flesh. All flesh. He's already poured His Spirit out. All you have to do is receive today by faith. And God, who is faithful, will baptize you in his Holy Spirit, and your life will never be the same again. Others of you, the next step for you is to become more spirit-led. You've crucified your flesh. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You've seen a, a, a degree of God using you in your life, but you want to be led and guided every day of your life by the Spirit of God. It's like a deep hunger within you to be used of God, to make a bigger impact on the world. If that's you, here's your action step. Here's your response. It's surrender to him. That scripture in 2 Corinthians said that we are led in a processional as captives. Captives are people who have surrendered to the king, to the victorious king. And that's the key for you today. If you want to be used in greater measure by God, it is to surrender yourself completely to his purposes and his will for your life. It is to lay it down and let him take complete control. Ask him to use you in greater measure and he will. This is what I want us to do today as the band leads us in this song. If you fall into one of those three categories, you need to crucify your flesh, you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, or you want to be more spirit-led, that I want you to get out of your seat and come to this altar area. And I just want to pray with you today because I believe God is going to meet you here, and I believe he's going to minister to your life. Come now as the band leads us.